Well, good morning again. Good morning. It's uh, great to be in worship with you uh, today, and uh, it's always, always uh, a pleasure to see your faces, and it's a pleasure to, um, to sing with you, to listen around the Word of God together, um, to, um, uh, again, join in community, giving our resources so we can see um, the advancement of the, the kingdom of God here on earth. So a question that, um, that I've been wrestling with and, um, and a question I'm quite sure that some of you have been wrestling with is, what, what do you do when your hold on Jesus loosens? Um, what, what do you do when you get discouraged in following Jesus? Um, what, what do you do when you feel like giving up on your faith? What do, what do you do when you feel like crying mutiny on the bounty of all that you believed? Well, if, if you're, if, I know that if, if I ask that question, I'm quite sure that other people are asking that question as well. And that's not just a question for uh, just a few people, but I think at some point in everybody's walk with Jesus— they began to ask the question, what do I do when I'm discouraged in my faith? What, what do I do when, it, when I feel like just letting it all go? Well, the writer of Hebrews actually helps us to answer that question, and it fits together with this last message on community. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, whether on your phone or um, in the pew or you brought your, your Bible, Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to be looking at verses 19 through 25. And if you're looking on the Bible that the church provides, it's going to be page 1007, 1007. What do you do when your faith, your grip on Jesus loosens? How how do you hold tight to him when your grip feels like it's about to let go? So let me set the context of this, um, the larger context of this passage, and then the immediate context that we're going to be looking at. So the whole idea around the book of Hebrews is fix your eyes on Jesus. Don't look at your surroundings. Don't look at all the other stuff. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is literally better than anything else. He is better than angels. He is better than Moses. He is literally better than anything else. And so fix your eyes on Jesus. Now, we have a tendency to fix our eyes on a lot of other things. And that I think that sometimes causes us to loosen our grip. But the writer of Hebrews says that when you feel like your grip is loosening, refix your eyes on Jesus. Now, again, the, uh, the, again, more of the context of this, many of these Christians that the writer of Hebrews is writing to, they are asking this question, which I believe we're asking as well, and that is, what have we gained from following Jesus? Is, is it really worth it to continue to follow him? What have we gained from coming here every week, 52 Sundays out of a year, this building is open, we sing songs, we preach messages, we give, and all of those things. Is it even worth it? What what have we gained? What has has my life, is my life different for having chosen to follow Jesus? 
They were saying that, listen, the only thing that we have to show is persecution. The only thing that we have to show from following Jesus is loss. The only thing that we have to show from following Jesus is ridicule. The only thing that we have to show from following Jesus is our families kicking us out of the, out of the, the, the family. They're taking our name out of the group chat. And literally, we have nothing else to show for following Jesus other than pain, suffering, loss, ridicule, and being left out of groups. The moment I say I follow Jesus, then nobody wants to follow me. The moment I say I follow Jesus, no one literally wants to hang around me. Is it worth it to follow Jesus? Is it worth it to come here each week, sit in these seats, listen to a person talk, sing songs? Is it worth it? So the writer of Hebrews said, hey, listen, I want you to know that that you have more than you could ever dream. You have more than you could ever imagine. You have more than all the things that you think you've lost. And so we've all faced these moments. We've all faced these moments of, is it worth it? Does it matter? Does it... um, You know, when when everybody else seems to be blessed around me, and it seems as if God is overstepping me, is it really worth it to keep our lives pure and to 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 have a marriage that's thriving and living according to the uh, to the Word of God? Is it worth it to remain single and holy and sanctified and say I want to follow Jesus, even though there is no if you're if you if God is. Uh, created you to be married. There's no spouse on the horizon. Is it worth it? That's what these individuals were asking. And I think just, just a little bit, we're asking those same questions. So here's the, here's the idea that I want to try to posit today. And that is amid the many storms in our culture, personal, global, local, Followers of Jesus can hold on to Jesus when we feel like letting go of Jesus by dropping an anchor in this passage. So everybody in this room, we're to, when we feel like we are done, my, my encouragement to you is drop an anchor in this passage that we're going uh, to look at today. So the first thing that the writer does, he tells us two things that we have and then he tells us what we can do. So a lot of you say, well, I want Marvin, tell me what to do. Well, I think before we say what we need to do, we need to actually look at what we have. And then knowing what we have will help us determine what we should do. All right? So here's the first thing. This is, uh, look at verse, uh, verse 19 and 20. This is what it says. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. So the first thing that the writer says that the, uh, the Christian's uh, have the Christians there have, and the, what we have is number one access. Access that leads to confidence to enter the presence of God. So, so you and I have access to the God of the universe. That that you and I we actually can go into God's presence at any time, anywhere. 
Now, this is a reference to the Old Testament um, priest, uh, particularly the high priest going into the holies of holy. And they would go one time a year. The high priest and the priest were from the tribe of Levi, from the line of Aaron, Moses' brother. You remember the prince of Egypt, right? Just in case. Everybody kind of knows who Moses is. But Moses had a brother, and his brother was named Aaron. And God said that from Aaron's line would be all the priests. And the priests, and, and as well as the high priest, they would go into the holy, most holy place of the tabernacle. It's a place where uh, the presence of God dwelt. And the priests would go in the presence of God on behalf of the people of God. So he would confess the people's sins before God, and the priest would, the high priest would go in there one time a year, and he would say, the people have sinned, would you forgive them? He would sprinkle the blood of goats and bulls and, and, uh, and lambs, and, and that was the, one of the ways that the people's sins were forgiven. Now, he went in there one time a year. And so the writer is saying, what you have, you have someone that is Jesus. He died on the cross, and the moment he died on the cross, he gave us access to God. That you and I can pray to God wherever we are. We don't have to wait. We don't have to say, can I come into your presence? You and I can come into the presence of God at any time. Jesus' death opened a way for us split the curtain so that we might have access. So, so there was a barrier that existed between um, that, the, the, a thick curtain that existed uh, that separated people from God. That's how holy God was. And Jesus' death on the cross when he died, that curtain in the temple was torn in two so that it was a, a new theological principle that you don't need a priest to go into the presence of God. You don't need a mediator to go into the presence of God. That the, every person that uh, surrenders their lives to Jesus can now go into the presence of God and say, Father, here is my discouragement. Father, here is my fear. Father, here are my problems. Father, I can come to you. And he says, you are welcome." And so one of the things that you and I have, we have access. We have confidence to come into the presence of God. You don't have to cower. We don't have to fear. We don't have to feel shame or guilt. We can boldly walk into his presence and say, Father God, thank you for loving me. Here is my issue. God, I love you. I worship you. I adore you. Here is my issue. We can walk into his presence in this room. We can walk into his presence in our car. We can walk into his presence at the job. The curtain has been torn so that we can enter. When you got problems at at the job, this is just a reminder. The curtain has been torn. You can enter. You have problems in your marriage, the curtain has been torn. You can actually enter the presence of God, and the Father will hear you. Uh, A couple of days ago, Michaela sent uh, Tanya and I a text, and she said, uh, Michaela's in Detroit, that's our our daughter, Uh, just so you know. 
Um, she's in Detroit finishing her last semester at Wayne State. She texted us and said, hey, I'm going to be at a conference in Lansing. Um, do, do you think it's okay if I can come by the house? And Tanya, Tanya thinks that it's, it's really about, hey, I got 10 friends. Will you cook for me? So I think it's probably both. But when I read the text, I, I was like, I was like, I, I know she knows this, but, but I, I had to get her, give her a reminder. I said, daughter, listen, you can come to the house anytime you want to. This is your house. This is your room. Our food is your food. Guess what? You can come here anytime you want to. And that's what the father is saying to us. You don't have to ask me to come into my presence. You can come into my, you are my daughter. You are my son. You can come into my presence at any time. Does this make sense? Marvin did the same thing, and uh, I don't know what's wrong with my kids. So it's like <laughs> Marvin did the same thing. He thought someone had broken into his house, and the door was open, and he called me like at 11 o'clock at night. I knew something was wrong. He said, hey, Dad, um, you know, when I came home, uh, the door was open, and I don't know if someone is still in there. I think someone has broken into the house. And he kept talking and kept talking, and I don't know if I want to stay there tonight. And, and I knew what he was getting at. I said, so, son, you can come home. He said, yeah, I was just going to ask you if I can slide through and sleep there tonight. <laughs> I said, dude, you don't have to ask. This house is your house. And I think we, we know that, but we need to be reminded of what we have. What we have is access to the God of the universe. We have access. So that's the first thing we have. We have access. The second thing we have is advocacy. That is a high priest to intercede for us. If you're taking notes, we have advocacy, a high priest to intercede for us. And the verse says, it says, since we have great, a great priest over the house of God. So we have confidence, confidence to enter the presence of God. That's the first thing we have. And, and we have advocacy. We have a high priest. So the writer of Hebrews wants them to say, before you give up, before you give up on Jesus, I want, to know what you, I want you to know what you have. Because you might be giving up something. That is way, way bigger than your problem. Not, not might be. You are giving up something way bigger than your problem. So you have a high priest. And so this confidence in access should be especially strong for us, especially when it's coupled with we have someone who intercedes for us as our high priest. Remember I told you high priests were wholly dedicated to God. And they were from the tribe of Levi, I told you that. And according to the command of God, they had these vestments. They would wear these robes, kind of like robes, and they would have these breastplates with 12 tribes representing all of the people of Israel on the breastplate. And then they would have those same things on their shoulders. It was almost as if millions of people, the high priest was taking into the holies of holies before God. It's kind of the idea. And so he would go in and he would confess the sins of the people to God. He stood as a mediator or go-between us or the people and God. 
And so you have Jesus who is not only, has only, not only has he torn the curtain, but he says that Jesus is our ultimate advocate. He is our ultimate, um, our ultimate go-between that bears all of our names, not just on his chest, but in his very being. Because the moment you and I trust Jesus, we are now in Christ. We are now in Christ. So you are in Christ. I am in Christ. And all of the people in this room, if you have trusted Jesus as your Savior, Jesus is our advocate. He, like literally we are in him and he has our names and our addresses and our problems and our issues and our fears and our doubts and our joys. He has them right now in him and he takes them before the Father. My friends, listen, you and I have something great. He feels what we feel. He was tempted like we were tempted. We have a high priest who understands us. So, so many, many of the, the, the women in the room who've had babies, you, know, you go to the doctor and your OB-GYN, um, say he's a male, and you get ready to deliver the baby, and he, he, he literally knows all that you, uh, a woman would go through in terms of the, according to the books. I mean, he knows when the baby is growing, and he knows what the, um, based on science and based on what he studied, what a woman might be going through. The reality is, he really doesn't know. My wife has reminded me of that many times. You have no idea what I went through to birth these babies. You have a, a male ob has no clue. But take a female ob who is also a mother. She knows the pain and she knows what the woman is going through, not based on science, but based on experience. She knows the, when the baby is turning and what that feels like. She knows why the woman is saying, give me the drugs, give me the epidural when I walk through the door. She understands that. Why? Because she too has had a baby. And that's what we have in Jesus. He is not someone who just simply says, I think I know what you're going through. We have a high priest who knows what we're going through because he's experienced it. And he goes to the Father on our behalf. He knows when we're tempted and how we're tempted. And we can go to him and he gives us mercy in a time of need. We have a high priest who knows what we're going through. So if that's what we have, we have access and we have advocacy. If that's what we have, then the writer now turns to what we should do. So that's what we have. So before you give up, before you cry mutiny on the bounty of your faith, he says, this is what you have. Now let me tell you what you should do based on what you have. The first one is, comes in... Verse 22 says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now, what the writer is saying here is 
that because God has made a way for us through, because we have access to God and because we have a high priest that knows us and shows up for us. The writer is saying, don't waste that access. Draw near. Get close. Get close to God. Draw near to God. If we're not drawing near, it's not because we don't have access. If we're not drawing near, it's because we've made a choice that we're not going to draw near. So it would be a waste, it would feel like a waste of the sacrifice of Jesus if we go through our whole lives having access to the God of the universe and never took advantage of the access. You mean to tell me, God, that I could have not, I could have actually dealt with this discouragement that I had a long time ago? He would say yes. You mean to tell me that I could have gotten over my fears a long time ago? Yes, you had access to me. And so there's this sense where the writer is saying, draw near. God has made a way for us. God has given us this, 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 this beautiful invitation to say, come and get close to me. You don't have to cower in fear. You don't have to be ashamed. You don't have to feel guilty. You don't have to say, I don't know. We don't have to stutter step. You don't have to do the herky-jerky when you're learning how to drive a stick ship. Kind of goes and kind of goes. No, God says, no, come with confidence. Draw near, come close, because I got something that I want to tell you. And so here in the gathering, When you and I come together, this is the reason why this is so important for you not to miss church or not to miss the gathering. Again, this is not a commercial to show up up to church on Sunday. That's not it. This is from the word of God saying the significance is, is the gathering is just one context whereby you and I can draw near. You see, there's a difference, there's a difference between, there's a difference between singing a song and letting the song help you draw near to God. So that's the reason it's important for you and I when we sing songs, we don't mindlessly sing the song. We say, okay, God, I am distracted. This song, I know it's not my song. I know it's not my genre. I know I I cannot stand the drums and the the loud guitar. I, I don't, but you know something? They have chosen this song to help the people in the congregation to draw near to you. And I am going to put my preferences on hold And I am going to take this moment in this time while they're singing, while Ava is singing, while Lily is singing, while Makana is singing, to let me draw near to you. Holy Spirit, rest on us. So that's an opportunity right there to say, Holy Spirit, take away the distractions. Holy Spirit, I am yours. Holy Spirit, I want you to renew me today. That is drawing near. There's a difference between listening to a sermon and letting the sermon help you draw near to God. Does this make sense? There's a difference between giving your money and letting your stewardship, your giving, help you draw near to God. There's a difference between just listening to prayers and letting those prayers help you draw near to God. 
gathering, when we gather together, it is super important that we do because it is a context by which we can draw near to God. It's a standing invitation. Every, every week we gather, it's a standing invitation to draw near. You say, Marvin, can I draw near to God at home? Absolutely you can. Can, can I draw near to God by listening to my favorite podcast and my favorite preacher online? I thought you would have said me, but that's, that's, that's beside the point. Absolutely you can. Absolutely you can. There's something about privatized devotion that is incomplete. There's something about when you and I gather together that helps us to draw near. Satan tries to convince you it's no big deal, and yet our access to God, the God of the universe, says, he says, you can draw near to me. So that's the first thing, is that we, we must draw near. That, that I believe, here it is, everybody in this room, you and I are as close to God as we want to be. Let me say that again. You and I are as close to God as we want to be. Remember, it's not because we don't have access. Remember, it's not because we don't have a high priest that intercedes for us. Access is there. The choice that we have every day is whether we're going to draw near. We can draw near through the word of God, actually, Bible engagement. We can draw near in community. We can draw near in prayer. We can draw near in telling other people about Jesus, obviously. We can draw near by the way we give our resources. We can draw near in a number of different ways. But we're as close to God as we desire to be. And so one of the things that, that I, I want to pray this year, and I invite you to do the same thing, is to God, would you please give me a hunger to draw near? Many times we don't draw near because we're not hungry for God. So God, give me a hunger for you. Here's the second, the second result of the access we have and the um, access we have and the high priest we have. And that is found in verse 23 is hold fast. Hold fast. Verse 23, this is what it says. It says, let us hold fast to the confession of our faith, our, our hope, without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So the second one is just keep holding on to what you've professed when you became a follower of Jesus. That's what the writer is saying. He's saying, listen, I know you want to give up. Kyle, man, I know you feel like giving up. You know, I know, Walt, I know you feel like giving up. John, I know you feel like giving up. Paul, I know you're like, ah, I just don't want to do it. What the writer is saying, here is saying, I want you to go back to the moment you stood in a tub like this and said, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that he is Messiah. Remember that moment. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins and he rose again from the grave. Remember that moment? You remember when you were at camp? You remember you were at that men's thing? You remember you were at Trinity and you professed it before the entire world, I am going to follow Jesus. 
and the preacher took you down or your mother or father took you down and brought you back up, how your, the, the world changed, your values began to change. He says, I want you to hold on to that. Not, don't look at your surroundings. Don't look at your, the stuff that's going on. I want you to unswervingly hold on to your profession of faith. Don't give it up. Hold tightly. Now, some of you in this room, you're saying, hey, listen, I am, I am ready to, to throw in the towel. And my, my encouragement to you is don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Keep holding on to the truths that Jesus gave us. How do, how do we begin to practice holding on to our faith? I think one of the ways we can do it, we can practice transparency with other, others and God. Most times people want to let go because they're holding stuff in. And they have this view of God that somehow God is mad at them or other people are angry with them because nobody knows what you're holding on to. Nobody knows what you're dealing with. But the moment you you and I actually transparently share our lives with other people and with God himself, there's something that's lifted. We feel the peace of God overwhelming us. So practice the habit of transparency. I think practicing, again, we've talked about this, practicing the, meditation, the habit of meditating on God's word. It is, it is by faith. So I, I ask people a lot, and they say, man, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I don't have enough faith. Or I'm losing my faith. And the first question I ask is this. How much are you reading your Bible? Wow, I ain't read my Bible in so long. Well, the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So if you're about to let go, I can almost guarantee there's a correlation between not reading and engaging the Bible and about to let go of Jesus. So there's a sense where the writer is helping us. And then give God a priority. Give God priority. And then the last, last um, I think the last, the last one here is in verse 24 and 25. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So the third um, result of um, the access that we have and the high priest that we have is that we think about one another. We creatively think about how to actually spur one another on. That word spur is to excite and to stimulate and to agitate, not in a negative way, uh, but in a good way, and instigate another believer to, do, to, uh, to, do, to deepen their love for God and love for others and to do good works that flow out of our relationship with God. So part of the reason we have access and part of the reason we have a high priest is to actually creatively think about one another. Is, is that, that every, every time we leave here, I hope this is not the last, I hope this is in, in every seven days, we, I, I hope that every seven days we don't just think about other believers. This is what the writer is saying, that every day we ought to find ways to consider how we can help the other person be reminded of who they are. How we can creatively help each other. Hey, that's not your identity. 
That's not what God, hey, you know, you're living below where God wants you to be. I want to call you up to something greater than you're being called up to. You don't have to judge another person. You don't have to finger point. But you can say, hey, listen, I love you. And guess what? Both of us, we have access to God. And you know something? God has created you for more than what you're doing now. He's created you for something greater. He's created you to deepen your love for him and to other, for other people. Hey, when was the last time you shared your faith with someone? That's spurring another person on to good works. Hey, when was the last time you read your Bible? And what is God teaching you right now? That's spurring another person on to love and good works. Hey, when was the last time? How are you taking care of your body? That's spurring another person on to love and good works. Hey, so, let, let, hey, I, I know you, I see you sitting alone sometimes in the gathering. Hey, you want to sit with me? That's, that's actually deepening the love of God in the body. So our, our job is to excite one another, to, to agitate, to instigate one another toward love and good works. And guess what? We won't be able to do it if we don't show up to the gathering. We won't be able to do it like in, in, in its fullest measure when we don't show up to the gathering. Now, one of the things that they were doing, what was happening, is that the, they, uh, the Christians in the first century, they had gotten so discouraged that they started absenting, absenting themselves from the gathering. They had gotten so upset, they started uh, with, with, their, with them being ridiculed and persecuted, they started missing church. They started missing the gathering. And the writer says, hey, don't do that. Because when you do... You're neglecting and abandoning the family. That word neglecting, not neglecting, that's a very strong word. That very strong word is, is when you abandon those you love. Now, if I miss dinner one time, um, that's not neglecting my family. But if I get in the habit of missing dinner, that's when I began to to neglect and abandon my family. This is what the writer's talking about. They were getting in the habit of missing the gathering. Oh, they missed one Sunday, all two, three, four, and then the gathering was out of their minds. So, so I, wanna, I wanna ask the question. Uh, why do you think people, and I want you to answer me back, why do you think people absent themselves from the gathering? Why do you think they don't, people don't show up to the gathering, to, to church, as we would say. So just, just give, me, give me some answers. Guilt. So guilt, it's a, man, you know, man, I haven't been in a while, and I feel guilty. This is very interesting because that's a, that's a really good point. I was going to, uh, walking into uh, Whole Foods, better known as Whole Paycheck, because you really will spend your whole paycheck <laughs> at Whole Foods. Um, and I saw, my, my chiropractor saw me, and he said, hey, Pastor Williams. And that's all he said. And I found myself explaining why I hadn't been in a while. <laughs> and then it dawned on me, this what, this probably what it feels like for people who miss church when they see me at the store or see me at the movies. I just say, hey, how you doing? And then, well, I'm still watching online. I'm still, I'm still here. I'm still a member. And I've not asked anything. 
And so sometimes we do feel guilty. Guess what? You don't have to feel guilty. If you see me in the store and you haven't been to the gathering in a while, and if I say hi, just say hi. It, it doesn't mean that, like, I don't have a little thing that I'm checking the box to see who's here and who's not. Your relationship is between you and God. So guilt is one. What's another one? Shame. Shame and guilt, I, I would put those together. Uh, whether it's, um, like, man, I'm, I'm, this lifestyle I'm living, I'm not living according to God's principles, and I just feel like the moment, some of you would say, the moment I walk on the campus, I believe God is going to strike the, you know, he's going to send lightning and burn the place down. Because that's how, how ungodly my life feels. But remember, remember, our access to God is not based on what we've done. Our access to God is based on what Jesus has done. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That has to be remembered. All right? So what are some others? Disappointment, church hurt, or someone has been hurt, or disappointment in leadership, disappointment in a number of uh, small group leaders, or what have you, all right? What's another one? Laziness. Laziness, yes, laziness. What else? Yeah, tired, and it just requires effort. Like COVID ruined us, right? Like, man, I, I, I'm just going to roll out, and I'm going to do Bedside Baptist today. And y'all know what Bedside Baptist is? Okay, I'm just going to stay home. All right, so weariness and tired. And so on the flip side of that is rest and vacation. Now, I want to say that's not an accusation. The text says those who got in the habit of missing, not periodically because whether it's rest or whether it is vacation, those, it's those who got in the habit of missing, all right? Let's take, let's take a couple more. Disconnected. Yeah, absolutely. Not a priority. Fear. These are all things that sometimes I believe keep us away from the gathering. But the reason why this is so important for you and I to come and to be present and to be um, connected is because when I'm feeling discouraged and down, I have a whole army of people who can spur me on, who can stir me up. When my face is downcast, this is the reason why, again, it's so important to slow down as you walk into uh, on campus because God might uh, allow you to walk past something and you sense the sadness in their face. And that's a moment to say, Hey, I, I, I don't know you, and I know this, this might feel kind of weird, but it just, I, is there any way that I can pray for you? When you get 100,000 people doing that, something happens in the gathering. Something happens here. So you got the stuff going on in Ukraine, and you have questions this is a good place to come to say, you know something? I'm really struggling right now. Let me pray for you. Stuff that's happening with, happened with COVID and happening with the election coming up. I, I'm struggling. I'm struggling, Pastor Marvel. I'm struggling, John. I'm struggling, Elliot. I'm struggling. Hey, can you pray with me? There's something about when we gather together 
that it matters. Can you do this at home? Yes, you can do it at home, but it's incomplete. There's a separation between our private devotion and our public discipline to, to be in the gathering together. There's an old adage um, that um, uh, proverb, you're the straw that stirs the drink. And this is uh, that word, uh, that word stir or spur in Hebrews chapter 10. Everybody in this room, you're the straw. We are the straws that stirs one another's drinks. In other words, you are, God has designed you to spur me, to stir me, so that I might follow him more closely. I'm to spur you and stir you so that you might follow God a little bit more closely. Some days we get dormant. Some days we get relaxed. But it's this big community that we're a part of that helps us to hold on to Jesus when we feel like letting go. It is this community when we sing together and the song swells. Firm foundation. It allows us to hold on to Jesus a little bit tighter. But when we miss, we miss what God might have for us. So hold on to Jesus. What we have, we have access, we have advocacy. What do we do as a result of that? We draw near, we get close to God. Not only do we get close to God, we hold on tightly to our profession of faith in Jesus. And we consider one another. How we might actually help one another love more deeply and to be more active with our works to bless the world. All right? Well, that's what we have. And um, if you have a prayer need or concern, I'm going to ask the prayer team, elders, and deacons to come forward now. If you have a prayer concern, prayer need, they will be up front. Let's stand and uh, close in prayer. Um, They will pray with you, pray for you. Uh, as, you, uh, as you come forward. Let's pray together. Father, thank you uh, for giving us this body. Thank you for uh, giving us access to Jesus. Thank you that he is our high priest. And because that is true, we pray you would help us, give, give us a hunger to draw near. Give us a hunger to hold on tightly to our profession of faith, even in the midst, uh, amid all of the stuff that's going on. And, um, and help us to consider one another, can be concerned about one another, helping one another draw near to you and help us not to forsake one another as we continue to follow you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.